Uh, we have a, uh, a, a great speaker this morning, uh, Jim Cody, who has spoken to us before. Uh, we went a long time having a hard time getting here. His uh, ministry, uh, Master's Men, which is the men's ministry, uh, also includes a NASCAR ministry. And high ground, uh, for a long time, conflicted with Daytona. I don't know why he would pick Daytona over high ground, but uh, no, sir, no, he was committed to that. But uh, I'm glad that this year we're able to uh, get not only Jim here, his son Matthew came with him uh, for the first time. So that, uh, that special treat. Uh, Jim grew up in California, and in is his words, he was a surf bum and a ski hippie. Uh, I could say his words. Then at 23... Uh, he married his wife, who apparently got him straightened out, and Christ grabbed hold of him about that time, and he's been going strong ever since. Uh, he does have three sons, including uh, Matthew, and let's see, I think that's it. So, Jim, come give us a good word. Thanks, Randy. Good to be back. I do not. No, in fact, I'll knock it over, right? I will, and then Rick will be upset. Yeah, I, uh, I quit paying my dues, and they wouldn't let me come up here, but I got caught up. It's kind of like the IRS and high ground, about the same thing. Right? You, don't, you don't mess with them, right? Guys, I want to talk to you about some stuff that's really on my heart about men. That's what we do is deal with men, but there's some things that are going on in culture, and there's some things in the country and whatnot that I, uh, I want to make sure that I address, so I'm, that I'm faithful to point out some issues that I think we need to be aware of. Uh, I think one of the passages in Scripture that, that clearly outlines a response or an appropriate response to a culture that's gone wild is in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to invite you to turn there. But before I do that, I, I guess I need to introduce Noah by way of introducing uh, this, this whole series that uh, is addressed on your, your outline there, and that is this. My son Matthew uh, has a media uh, company which serves uh, ministries and helps them with uh, bringing traffic to their site and helping them upgrade their, their people count. Uh, I'm not here selling him. What I'm here to do is to let you know that uh, you dads, I mean, we can be really proud of our kids, right? Matthew came to me because he's, he's vested in, in me. He loves me. He cares about what I do. He came to me about two years ago or a year and a half ago, and he said, Dad, I, I, I think the men could really use a series on men in the Bible. And I'm a guy that's always looking for one more thing to do, right? You know? Yeah, so I was like, man, you're probably right. Let me, <laughs> let me pray about it. <laughs> you know, that's the one way to forestall something. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, man, he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, the thing that I've enjoyed going through Scripture is reading about David and reading about different men in the Scripture. Uh, Joseph, just, you, you know, pick your guy. You can learn something good, and most of them have something crummy that you can figure out you don't want to copy. And uh, so I launched in this uh, idea that he gave me, and uh, he, he was telling me, yeah, why don't you maybe start with David or this or that or, you know, try to be helpful. And I thought, you know, um, I probably need to start at the beginning. Um, I am in ministry, I can finally admit, uh, my, my passion for men's ministry is born out of my pain growing up in a home where if daddy had had his men's act together, my mother my sister, my brother, and I what a whole lot better time of life. And it is my personal opinion that you solve men, you solve everything else. So um, the beginning is important to anything. 
Everything is built. Everything follows after the beginning. I complimented Kelly about, I love his purpose statement because he's honest. We want to win, you know, and then everything drives off that. I mean, that's the way it is. This building is beautiful. Uh, it's remarkable how tall it is, uh, the woodwork, the lighting, the decor. I mean, even the elk sing in this building, you know. <laughs> And I think most of us are focused on this, and when we drive up, you know, we're focused on the fact that we're already having a hard time breathing, and we get to walk up several flights of stairs to even get in here, right? Amen. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but here's what I don't think anybody has ever thought about in this building, and that is the foundation that it sets on. This thing would not be here, and it would not stand tall, beautiful, and facilitating this meeting without a substantial foundation. The foundation for understanding men, in my opinion, is found by understanding Adam. Yeah, I know I passed out something on Noah. But let me just quickly outline the progression to chapter 6 by beginning in the beginning. Man is God's outcome to a progressive solution to a problem. Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is important. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. In my opinion, God began the creation as we know it with some sort of significant evil problem. Darkness and deep, formless and void, are component parts of the characteristics of evil, of Satan, of something else. God is a God not of confusion but of order. Deep and seas are scary, and, the, and they are, they're meant to symbolize evil. It appears to me that God stepped into the face of evil and, and, and began a progressive correction of a problem. Think of it this way. How many of you guys have ever been on a cruise? Gr most of you, great. Or out, out fishing. I mean, something like this happened to me once. I don't, we don't have time because this is supposed to be a quick introduction. But there's nothing quite like being out in the ocean and having everything drop out from underneath you. I mean, pretend you're at that cruise and you're getting ready to give your beloved something special that you got her uh, because you love her so much. Or maybe it's your fiance and you're getting ready to propose to her and you're standing out on the side deck against a rail and you go to present her with this great gift and she stumbles in the getting of it and you try to save it and off the edge you go. As you see the boat go away in the middle of the night, I want you to just think for a minute, honestly. Think for a minute how you would feel. I mean, it's pitch black dark. You see that stern light move off into the horizon, and you are bobbing around in the ocean, and suddenly, formless and void, darkness and deep. I mean, I can't imagine how scary that might be. The fog rolls in, there's no moonlight, no starlight, no no light, nothing, and uh, your feet are bobbing around there, and you're just hoping they don't like something slide by and touch them, right? I think most of us would be panicked out of our wits. In that scenario, you would like, I think, the first thing you would like is you would like for somebody to turn on the lights. You would like to see a light. The next thing is if it's foggy enough to where you can't see your hand in front of your face, you would like for the firmaments to separate, and you would like to have some distance between, between fog and sea so you have perspective. And third, I think you would love to have something solid to stand on. And as you move through Genesis chapter 1, that's exactly what you get. You get light, you get perspective, you get something solid. If you get on, on earth, the next thing you'd like is you'd like some vegetation, and, and after that, you'd love to see some animals and critters. And then finally, it would be awesome to have your wife. And there we are, Genesis chapter 1. 
God created man in his image. Image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Man is the pinnacle of creation and the commission gives us purpose. Genesis 1 closes, we move into chapter two and there's three beautiful things presented in chapter two which make for a, which make for a wonderful life. It's taken me 40 years of reading the Bible to figure this out. I couldn't ever figure out why the first paragraph had to do with rest, now I do. Worship comes first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all this other stuff will be added unto you. After rest comes a career. Dads, you can biblically tell your sons, get a job before you get a spouse, because the chapter closes with a wife, right? Or daughters, make sure he's got a job before you get married. The first two chapters of Genesis are wonderful. Naked, completely transparent, and unashamed. Chapter three opens with a problem. You guys ever take your wife out to dinner? Yeah, order a bottle of wine, maybe have to use the restroom, take off, something like that, maybe. Some of you guys do, some of you guys don't. Yeah, I want you guys to picture this. When Genesis chapter three opens up, Satan and Adam's wife are having a conversation. Adam's nowhere involved. I mean, it's like going out to dinner and getting sat at a table, and either Adam got up to use the restroom, or Adam is sitting there while Satan seduces his wife. You ever thought of it that way? And after this seduction... After she falls in sin, she offers her sin to him, and he takes it. Genesis chapter 3 introduces you to the evacuated male, the male that is apathetic, uninvolved, and distant from a relationship, not providing, not protecting for his wife. The foundation that I'm beginning to set for us today is to see man in reality. God created man to be part of his progressive solution to a problem, And man has the opportunity to be fully engaged in responsibility to co-labor with God in continuing the blessed life. And yet, for men, too many men, we evacuate, we excuse ourselves, we vacate, we go AWOL on the responsibilities. And what occurs is we are back to darkness and deep and formless and void. I mean, things get chaotic. By the way, it's my understanding, you know, in the original commission, it too is progressive. Those of you that have had a business, you know how hard it is to bear fruit. Be fruitful. Once you've got the business uh, making some sort of net profit, then God says, guess what? Have at it. Multiply it. In fact, take it to the ends of the world. I mean, I don't know how big your territory is. I don't even know how big my territory is, but I get the privilege of exploring it by being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth. Nobody's going to have the biggest company in the planet. Nobody owns it all, does it all. I mean, for every Microsoft, there's an Apple. But by golly, it is certainly part of God's endowment to get after it. The fourth phrase, though, is very important. Subdue it means to put down evil. Evil is always the problem with our progression in a relationship with God. In fact, that's borne out in chapter 4 when uh, Adam, who's always available for Eve for this, but is never involved in the parental involvement, they have two sons. Cain and Abel. And the sons get in an argument, and one kills the other. You know the story very well. But, what, but the rest of the story may not be so familiar with. Familiar with what Cain did with the curse? Adam's not around. He's not in the chapter at all. He's at the beginning in procreation. He'll be at the end in procreation. But in the middle, there's no parenting at all. God is the one that has the counsel and coach Cain. Hey, dude, chill. Slow down. Be careful with your anger. It wants to master you. Sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. He doesn't pay attention. He kills his brother, and then God has to come in and do the punitive work too, as a dad ought to do. There's no fathering in chapter 4, though Adam was a father. 
Cain is told to be a vagrant and a wanderer. Instead, he builds a city. It becomes the city of sin. Chapter 4 nearly ends on a really, really, really ugly note because what we have is we have the evil society. It, it has arts and entertainment. It has a military-industrial complex. They've figured out how to make bronze and iron. I mean, this thing is churning, but it's also polygamous, violent, evil. You have a grieving couple, Adam and Eve, and a rebellious son that's created the community of evil. And it's a really dark moment. Fortunately, God intervenes because this, I, I, I want for you to understand, God is always about redeeming and providing some sort of agent, some sort of representative for his purposes. And so she has a son. She names him Seth. One more time, where's Adam in the naming? At any rate, she names him Seth. Seth becomes the progenitor of the godly line. Chapter 5 is all about ten men. W.A. Crystal used to call it the scarlet thread that take the redemptive line forward that ends with Jesus. So when we come to the end of chapter 5, we wipe our brow and say, hey, finally, finally things are back on track. We've got a godly line. The guys are doing good. They live a long time. They do wonderful things. And now may I present chapter 6. This is our day, guys. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, they, these were the mighty men of renown, men of old. Now, uh, through my uh, upbringing in Christianity and different teaching and blah, 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 I mean, I, there, I know there's a viewpoint out there, this, this is a sci-fi movie. I don't think so. You can have your opinion, but I'm not a guy that buys the fact that demons copulate with our wives or daughters, that they copulate with women, and they breed a mythological race of demigods. I do not think that at all. I mean, candidly, I went back and forth on whether I should have done what I just did, but I, I feel like I need to set up this, this paragraph by letting you know that Cain had developed the, the evil civilization and that Seth was the redemptive solution to that civilization. And I want to introduce you to the fact that these are not demons with women, that these are the sons of God. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 3, 26? We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the redemptive line that has capitulated and compromised with the evil society and now they are breeding with the, the, the uncivilized, the evil kingdom. And God's men have lost their focus on a, a, a redeeming, responsible life. And they breed with women however they choose. And the outcome are strong, lustful men that control the planet. You can read about the Nephilim in Numbers. They're just giants. They're just big guys. David took one down. Jesus said... That when we go to heaven, we're going to be like the angels of heaven. We're not going to copulate. We're not going to procreate. They don't marry in heaven. Demons don't procreate. They're fallen angels. To me, that's a cop-out. You know, it's a, it's a sci-fi cop-out. Here's the point. And it's been made by nearly every speaker in here. God's men capitulating their heavenly calling and their high responsibilities to manage God's planet in a redemptive way, and amalgamating with culture. This is why this is important to me. I mean, I gotta tell you, God doesn't like it. 
We get used to it. But in this passage, he gives an initial judgment to get everybody's attention. Did you see it? You guys didn't get to read chapter 5, but they, they lived four, five, six, eight, nine hundred years. Suddenly, bing. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Therefore, because he's flesh, his days are going to be 120 years. 16%. 16%. They went from living 900 years, 800 years, to living 120 years. Gene is 84. We'd all be dead. Because the average lifespan would be 14 years. Now, that's a pretty significant judgment. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's any chance that God may be uh, doing the same kind of thing to this amalgamated Christian community in America today by dropping down the blessings to get our attention until we finally say, gosh, man, the water's getting hot that I'm standing in. Any chance? You know, it's, it's so, evil is progressive too. God's solutions are progressive I mean, I, lo I love the Genesis 1 passage because that's redemptive. I mean, God came into my life and slowly but surely gave me light, perspective, something firm to stand on, and then filled it with all good things. That's what God does. But evil's progressive, too. It, it nips away. I was born in 1953. Nine years later, they took prayer out of public schools. So I'm that guy that in a school they used to pray. We used to have Christmas programs. I graduated high school in 71. Two years later... All of us counterculture guys were excited because now the girls could all get abortions. And then two years ago, our government codified one more time and symbolized where their heart is in their definition of freedom. When they splashed stealing God's bow, his covenant from Scripture, all over the White House, the night of the Supreme Court decision for same-sex marriage. I'm sure Kelly is all over this. Guys, just because our country has codified immorality, sin, outrageous behavior, and chaos, doesn't make it okay for us. It makes it harder to stand. And that's why I wanted to introduce you to Noah. Before we go any further, I just want to tell you one thing. This passage and the reason I'm delivering it today is my heart is eaten up with grief over the Christian community, the people I know, some of my friends. My wife's got a couple best friends that their children, day after the codification, same-sex marriage, felt that they could finally come out and tell their Christian parents about their same-sex lovers and their intent to marry. And the heartbreak for me is the parents that have decided to quit hanging out in the Christian community because they don't like the guilt trip. Now, I don't know about guilt trips, and I don't know how you all feel like you should handle a, any given case on that, but I think it's a shame that because of one thing, we feel like we need to evacuate another thing. Everything that went wrong in the first five chapters of Genesis is evacuation from responsibility before God's ordained set of rules. And we're challenged by that today. Just because abortion was legal didn't make it right to have just all the free sex that you wanted to have. But it seemed like it did. These are three specific examples so that you can begin to think about the examples in your life about how this society out here has accepted so many things that are in adverse position to this. And where are you going to decide to land on a subject? I mean, just because Kelly's got an organization that's going to fight for you at the court level, what are you going to do on the street level? That's what's important to me and to my men, to my sons. 
So as we continue to read, it gets worse. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry, means grieved, like, like, like I feel grieving right now, that he had made man on the earth and he grieved in his heart and the Lord said, I'm going to blot out man. So the, the initial, fairly significant, but it was an absolute judgment of God. Instead of 800 years, you're going to live 120. You would think that would get people's attention. But it doesn't. Not any more than the degradation of our society, infrastructure. Hey, let me do it. Here, let me make some more enemies. Uh, make America great again? Why would anybody come up with that if America's not great? Why would we want infrastructure projects if America's infrastructure was good? Why would we want any number of the policy issues that are floating around right now? Why would we want any of them? It's because we need them. But I want to challenge you with an idea. I'm not Democrat or Republican. I'm not male. I'm not female. I'm not Jew. I'm not Greek. I'm not rich. I'm not poor. I am in Christ. Christ will make America great again. And it starts right here. Let me move on with this. So God has had it, so now he's going to give ultimate judgment. I will blot out the man whom I've created from the face of the land, and to, from man to animals and creeping things and birds of the sky, for I am sorry I have made man. <sighs> but the light comes on again. But Noah. Contrastive, connective, right, Gene? Something good's coming because it's been so bad. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let me continue to read the thing that I want you guys to walk away with. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Here's the deal about Noah. He offers us the solution. Chances are pretty good most everybody in here voted for Trump. And I got to tell you, even I, I, I mean, I prefer one solution to another. But this is, this is how we're really going to get this thing done. Noah found favor with God. Noah found favor. Now, favor is just a synonym for grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast about it. But please don't miss that he found it. He found, he found grace. He found grace because he was an asker. He was a seeker. He was a knocker. You want God's grace? You've got to come to God. And you've got to come his way. You know, there's an interesting verse in the Bible I'm telling my youngest son about. He's single. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. You've got to be an asker and a seeker and a knocker. You've got to be a guy that wants to pursue God. You've got to be a guy that wants to know God. A Proverbs chapter 2 describes this as someone looking for buried treasure. The contrast could not be more clear. These guys were finding women however they chose. Noah was seeking God. Principle number one. Want to change society? Be a God seeker. Next one is this. Noah was a righteous man. We know from Genesis 15, we know from other passages in Scripture, Habakkuk, we know from Paul in Romans, we know that the righteous man lives by faith. Nobody is right all the time. Nobody is righteous all the time. The point is that you're constantly seeking God and saying, God, in this situation, what's it going to take? God, in this situation, what's it going to take? And, and too many times, God's solution to an issue is one where I can get all of that done, but it's this big, and by golly, you know where faith, stay, where faith lays? It lays in the place that I can't do. That's the Christian life. This is you, and this is where you need God. 
And that takes faith. So he's applying faith to his seeking relationship after God. The third thing is this, blameless in his time. And one more time, it doesn't mean a perfect guy. Nobody is blameless in that sense. Blameless means having integrity. He's a straight stick. He's, he's what we would say legit today. Hey, have you done business with so-and-so, that builder over here putting in a development? Yeah, man, I mean, be careful. Hey, have you done uh, business with so-and-so, this developer over here? Yeah, man, he's legit. He did everything he said on my house, and we had a couple of problems. He took care of those too. I would highly recommend this guy. That's Noah. Seeing the contrast between the sons of God that are all supposed to be in on this, only Noah. Third thing, he walked with God. The thing is, if, you're a, if, you're a, if you've been favored by God, if you're a receiver of favor, I mean, don't you want to hang out with God? I mean, isn't that part of the Christian life? The constant day-to-day walking with God? And um, way back, I used to train Labradors for duck hunting. And uh, hunting dogs are an interesting thing. I don't know about all the breeds, but I know this. We, I didn't want my duck dog, because he's not a bird dog. He's a go-get-it-once-I-shoot-it dog. I want him here or her here. I don't want them over there running around, you know. It's a crazy thing. We'd be going up a trail somewhere, and I'm leading the way, and Susie would come by me, hit me on the leg, about knock me off the trail, she'd get in front of me. She'd get about five y- yards in front of me, and she'd turn around because she didn't know where to go. She's not walking with Jim. When you walk with God, you walk alongside or you walk behind him. You let him lead in everything. He's a seeker after God. He's living by faith. He's legit, and he walks with God. Sorry, I'm sorry. The thing that set him apart, though most of all, was he was a dad. God created Adam first, Eve later. The highest calling of manhood is fatherhood. And not everybody can have children, but you can, you can raise somebody else's kid. I wrote a book years ago called Discipleship is Parenting. It's one and the same. It's just raising a guy up to be a responsible adult. That's what discipleship is. And by the way, that's the commandment. That's the commission. But fatherhood. There's, there's not a wife named in the first few verses. There's not a son or a daughter named in the first. They're just generally sons of men, you know. Sons of God, daughters of men. But here, man, three sons. He's a dad. He's got one wife, three kids. He's raising children. I told my young men's discipleship group that I got. We call them master's men teams. Anyway, I told the guys, I said, I challenge you. You know, I mean, I've been doing this a while, but I, I can be wrong. I mean, in fact, I'm wrong a lot. But I, I challenge you to find a passage in Scripture that tells women to raise kids. The great Shema of Deuteronomy, Ephesians chapter 6, fathers. We raise the kids. It's our responsibility. That's why I made a big deal out of old evacuated Adam. Adam's a disappointment to me. You can disagree. He was never around when he was needed. He wasn't at the table that night over dinner. He wasn't with the kids fighting in the garden. He's just, he's gone. He's the vacant guy. That's the greatest violation I see in manhood today is men that are not engaged with God or with their families. There's one more big point I want to make as I close. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them, and, and the earth with them. 
I, I, before I, I give you the punchline, I just another aside. One of the signatures to Jim Cody that our world is in desperate need of us men and the saving name of Jesus being trumpeted through the land is the violence. Our representatives can't even go home and have a meeting without being chased out by protesters. I see violence ticking up steadily. I read these passages, it scares me. It shows me that God has already begun to judge. Don't receive it, my faith. But that is the way I feel about it all. And so this is the capstone. He says to Noah, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Don't miss it, men. You make the ark. What is the ark? He's already been saved. He's found favor with God. But his passage through what's coming is based on what he does next. And I can point it out from Scripture specifically that I'm not making this up. If you've got a Bible you want to turn to it, fine. It'll be in, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 3, but I'm going to read it. And I think you're going to be a little bit surprised at what the ark is. And I've got to proclaim it to you today. Great salvific verse, verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put the death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and elsewhere that when the final, 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 final gong is sounded for the end of all things in a seven-year tribulation, that it will be just like the days of Noah. They will be marrying and giving in marriage. But will there be any men finding favor with God? So back to the passage. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. No, 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 no. But baptism doesn't save you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but baptism symbolizes an appeal to God through a good conscience, through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. What is that ark? What does baptism symbolize? Repentance. Make for yourselves. To me, it's been great listening, learning, and just saying, wow, Spirit, every year you do the same thing. For me, the takeaway, the takeaway is this. All hell's broken loose. Pick your poison on how you're going to fix it. I recommend repentance. Individual, personal, repentance. Perfect. Am I a few minutes early? Yeah. Yeah, what I want to do, I want to stop. I mean, I really have nothing else to say. And I thought it would be cool. I want to give you my, the rest of my time. I'd like to see you guys just all by yourself. Pray whatever prayer you got to pray. Because everyone in here, me, you, we got something. We're like, and another thing I know this from dealing with men, 69, 70 guys in here, one of y'all is hiding. Maybe more than you. A couple of you guys here may be, may be way out over the line. Okay? 
and we all can use personal rededication. So I'm going to give my time to you. I don't know what happens after that, Randy, but if we'll just all bow in prayer, do whatever, go to the bathroom, do whatever you want to do. I'm going to recommend to you that you light the match of a repentant lifestyle right now. Thanks for your time. <laughs>